0: To share just um, kind of a brief backstory, it's kind of interesting thing when when you're a lead pastor and you have the astounding privilege of proclaiming the word. Um, we're a church where we really want to be transparent. We want to have authenticity and be real and be known. And so, whenever you're a pastor, you're you're walking what can feel like this tightrope, where if you never share anything about who you are or your past struggles, then everyone gets this false notion. You've got it all together. And I assure you, it's a false notion. So if you have any kind of pedestal, let me just help you with that pedestal right now. Knock it down. You don't need to have any man on a pedestal. Um, and so w- what can happen is if you never share any of your past struggles, then people think that you got it all together. But on the other hand, if someone comes up here every week and is sharing all of their struggles after a while you're going to be like, "Well, why is he your pastor? Like he's more messed up than I am." Which I'm not. I'm just as messed up as I am not worse than you. Like we're all sinners saved by the absolute mercy of Jesus. But there's like a level of appropriate transparency that you can have from the from the front and so this, like I asked God for wisdom on, on God. How, how much do, should I be transparent from the front? And now we're online, and so like everyone can just hear it. Um, and yet, I truly feel that there is a necessity for us to acknowledge that we all need Jesus. And so I want to give you kind of a little bit of a backstory of how Renewal Church got her name. Because this is, this is a significant part of who we are. Our name reflects who we are and what we're about. How did she get her name? Well, in 2015, I, I was living with my family in Abu Dhabi. It is United Arab Emirates has made some news recently with, with peace with Israel. And so they're an Arab nation. They're right next to Oman, six miles south of Iran that touches uh, on its um, western border with Saudi Arabia. It's right there in the Arabian Peninsula. And we had this joy of living there for several years and, and planted a church that then planted a church. And before we could do a third one, God called us to come here. And But 2015 was, man, it was rough. And then 2016 didn't get any any easier. Um, if you've been married for a while, then you know that, that your marriage is going to have its ups and its downs and its peaks and its valleys. And, and for me, 2015 and going to or the 2016 was the deepest and darkest valley that I have ever walked through. And for the first time, I began to understand what David was saying when he says, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I, I got... A taste of that, and you're like, well, why was it so hard? Well, one, living in a different country is already by itself is already a hard thing, but it's just it was a grueling ministry, and it was very fruitful, but it was it was just incredibly challenging. Um, it took a toll on our marriage. And adoption is so beautiful, and I praise God for my two boys from Ethiopia. They are such a gift. I thank God for them. But the process of adoption was absolutely torturous. It was a very, very hard thing living in an Arab country, dealing with an African country and with the United States Immigration Services with, with no go between. Like, this was a do it yourself adoption. Like, there was no adoption agency. I could just share stories of just how incredibly painful that process was. And, And what had happened with all of these pressures and all of this pain is the Spirit of God began to expose in my heart deep sin and heart idols that honestly I was blind to, that I had my blinders on and I was not even aware of how I came across or how I treated people, including my wife and my children. And I, I was i was an absolute wreck because the Spirit began to bring to memory. It was this surreal experience of literally since my childhood. So at that point, almost 30 years of experiences, the Spirit was bringing back like fresh on repentance of that and 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 of that. And it was like this cascade waterfall of circumstances and conversations sometimes that were decades old where I had to go back and actually truly repent of that. And it was this incredibly hard season. And I, what, here's what happened in, in this season when I was exposed and I realized something. For the first time, I tasted what it truly felt like to be broken and to be desperate. For god i had never experienced the heaviness of my sin the way i did then and it was i was pastoring and i was fruitful and it was great and yet i was a mess and i clung to the psalms and in particular psalm 30 i will extol you O lord You have drawn me up, not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my soul from Sheol, restored me to life among those who go down to the pit, and I knew what this meant, and God used um, all of these different challenges to bring me to a point with incredibly hard circumstances, to have incredible breakthroughs, to see strongholds broken, and God gave me more. God gave me more of his sensed presence. God gave me more freedom from sin. He gave me more dependence on him. He gave me more hunger for his word. Like It was just this incredible experience. That's when I learned to journal and I learned to walk in God's presence and and in a new profound way, I learned how to expose my areas of brokenness to the spirit and let him come in and heal and remake me. And, and then in early, like mid-2016, God began to heal and he began to give freedom and to restore. And it was this absolutely amazing experience of breakthrough and And um, Binder and I began to heal and to see our marriage restored, and it was just this incredible time. And I'll never forget, we were planning to leave Abu Dhabi to move here in 2017 to begin the process of planting this new church. And I was on my face, like literally on my face before God in my office, and I was just pleading with God saying, what do you want this new church to be about? And God, give me one word. Give me a biblical word that will, in that one word, capture what this new church in Central Texas will be all about. And as I was praying, God, impressed on my mind, on my very soul, one word. And the word that came to my mind that was so clearly from the Spirit was the word renewal. And I just... It wasn't audible, but it was almost audible, hearing the voice of God saying, you have tasted my renewal. Now go to Central Texas to a place where there are thousands of people who know about me. that have religion. They've done the church thing. but they don't know me they know about me they have the appearance of godliness while denying its power go to these people in central texas my people and go start a new church for my glory where you can go and spread this renewal that you have experienced in your soul. And let this be a spark that will light many more souls. And that we will see a multiplying church that will just burn for the glory of God as his renewal is spread. Like this is... This is how this church got her name. Renewal was born quite literally out of desperation for God. For people that had enough with the going to church thing, had enough of the traditions thing, enough of the being seen on a Sunday thing, and then are unaffected all week. But people who are desperate for the presence and for the renewal of so this is where I'm coming from. And so if this, is, if this is a little bit too heavy for you, then you probably wandered into the wrong worship gathering. Like I'm just, I'm just shooting straight with you. This is what we want. I want to take the broken. I'll take them. The disenfranchised. I'll take them. The ones on the margins will love them. Those are realize that they need God's renewal, Oh, man, come join us. This word renewal is a biblical thread that runs from Genesis all the way to Revelation, fulfilled in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And renewal, as we'll see this morning, really is God's very purpose from from the Garden of Eden to the new heavens and new earth and the renewal of all things, you are seeing God's very purpose. And so my role as your shepherd is to not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. As Paul told the other elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, this is, this is my heart. It is to not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God to the people of God for the edification, the building up of God's people and the glory of God being displayed. And so my heart in this whole series that we will conclude next week, so whether you're bummed or excited or somewhere in between, we will wrap up Tapestry next Sunday. I had one brother say, hey, just extend it for like a year. And I was like, no, man, like there's... There's all kinds of themes that we could explore, but this has been a good season. But we'll go on to something new, but we'll wrap up the series next week. We have been seeing how how the Bible is God's interwoven masterpiece. And in Romans 10:17, it says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And so we need to declare the entire word of Christ, the whole counsel of God, and see the whole big picture of how the Bible fits together. And I've been praying, and as we wrap up the series next week, I pray that you have seen even just a glimpse of how absolutely astounding and magnificent God is, that you would just hunger for him, and that you would just feed your soul on his word. And so let's look at this biblical thread this theme of renewal. And so God's renewal of all things. And in the biblical story, there's like three movements or three scenes in this this story, this drama that is not fictitious. It is real, actual human history, real redemptive history. So let's look at scene one. And that first scene is renewal foretold. And so, God's renewal foretold. So foretold refers to promise or prophesied. So the Bible storyline, just to review, has four words. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So creation, we've seen this already in the series, that God's purpose is to display his glory through his creation. And we have seen other different threads in this series, such as kingdom, That God is creating a kingdom for himself. We have seen the threat of the people of God. God is creating his people that will be in his kingdom. Kingdom under his kingship, under his sovereign rule. We have seen the thread of wisdom that he's creating us to be a people who walk in wisdom and reflect his infinite wisdom. We have seen the thread of law. He's creating a people with new hearts that desire to obey the laws of God. We have seen the thread of peace. God is creating a people who experience his shalom, his peace. We've seen the, just two weeks ago on the presence of God. He's creating a people that will live in and enjoy his presence. He will dwell. He will live with us. And so all these different biblical threads that we've looked at, all of these are showing that God has a plan in creation, the display of his glory through a people that treasure him. So creation, but then second, we see fall. The Bible describes that there's The fall, that we are totally depraved. That means the totality of who we are desires sin. There is no part of us left to ourselves that desires holiness. We are sinful. So we looked at the fall and we saw how the Bible explains why there's sin, why there's disease, and why there's death because of the fall and that we are cursed. And condemned. There's creation, fall, and then there's redemption. God's story is about redemption. It is about a promise. We saw this last week in that thread how God made a promise to send a Redeemer, the Messiah. And we saw this in the series on mercy that thread that this Messiah brings us mercy, undeserved favor. That he himself took our sin on the cross in order to recreate us back to creation into a kingdom of priests who live in the presence of God. So you have the story of creation, fall, redemption, and then lastly, consummation. That means completion, coming to its ultimate end. And one day, King Jesus will return he will destroy that satanic usurper who is trying to overthrow the kingdom of God with his rivaling kingdom of darkness. And Jesus will come back and smash him and cast him into the lake of fire. And we will then be a resurrected people living with our resurrected king in the new heavens and the new earth when he renews all things Enjoying, back to these themes, his presence while being a people of wisdom. All of these threads are all, again, interwoven. And so Genesis to Revelation is about the renewal of all things. Now, if you are a Greek scholar, which I'm not, I have my resources that I can read and look stuff up. Um, But I did some research this week on the two words that you see in the biblical language that we use the word new. So one of these words is neos. And so just like you'll you'll hear like neo-imperialism or neo-fascism or neo-whatever, that word just means new. So it's a prefix for new. And so that's where it comes from, the Greek. Now, that word neos in the original, what that refers to is something that has been recently created. So something new, like a new car that's just recently created. Or you're a new house. No one's lived in it before. And so this idea of new is created recently. But there's another word, kinos. Now, that's a very different Word. So, the definition is it means new as to form or substance. But it doesn't mean recently created. Kinos refers to restored or renewed. So, taking that already existed previously that has gone into decay or disrepair and then it's restored to be like new. But the difference is with Kainos, this new restored version is better, more beautiful than the original one before it was decayed. So like you restore a car and it's even better, more impressive than it was when it was first made back in 1952 or whatever. The idea of being restored, being renewed with greater splendor and glory. And so when the Bible talks about being made new, this doesn't mean that God is like somehow scrapping his original creation and starting from scratch with something totally new. No, no, that's not God's plan. God's plan is to restore, to renew what already exists. And in this renewal, it is better and more beautiful and more (laughs) stunning than it was even in the original. It's about restoration. So think of God's plan of renewal, of redemption as like God's like cosmic reclamation project. That's what He's doing. Revelation 21, verse five. It says, "And he who was seated on the throne said, "Behold, I'm making all things new." This is the consummation of God's purposes. And it doesn't say I'm making all new things. This is important. He doesn't say I'm making all new things. He's making all things new. All existing things new. So God's plan was of this renewal was foretold long before Jesus was born. In Genesis 12, in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 12, you see that God goes to Abraham and says, I'm gonna make a whole new people through you, one of your descendants. So I'm gonna make you a great nation, and out of you will come the Messiah. But you have this, this sense of newness that God is going to create through Abraham. And then if you fast forward, you get to the Exodus. You have these people that were enslaved and then they find freedom and they're renewed in the presence of God at Mount Sinai. They receive a covenant and they enter into a relationship with God. And then they spend 40 years in the wilderness. And again, God's presence is right there, renewing and sustaining them. And then through Joshua, they're going to enter into this new land. But the problem is that they had an old problem. A very serious old problem. Let's read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 28. It's a problem that you and I still have to this day. Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 and 2. This is Moses speaking to the people of God as they're about to be led by Joshua into the promised land. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. So he says, when you obey, you will receive blessings. So God wants to bless them, but they're in a relationship. And so there are expectations. We looked at this with covenant and with law earlier in this series. And so if you fast forward to verse 15, same chapter. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then he lists many curses in the rest of this chapter. He says, if you disobey, then you will experience curses. Now they already were under the curse of sin all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. But this is just a reminder that because of your sin, you will experience curses. But if you obey, then you will experience blessings. Verse 36, again, same chapter. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. So hear that. You're going to go and be under. So your king, your authority is going to be under the authority of another nation. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. God promised them. That if they disobey, and he knew that they would, that they would be exiled. And they did. They did disobey, and they did go into exile. And the rest of the Old Testament shows us the reality of sinful humanity. We cannot obey God. We're incapable because of our sinful Nature. This old problem is our sinful hearts, our sinful desires. We want to at times, but the truth is we can't. We are sinful. We are corrupt. And so you see this problem of sin resurfacing throughout the entire Old Testament. They didn't care, lost their taste for God, didn't want God's presence. They desired the presence of idols instead. And so they did end up, we looked at this past in the series, exiled in modern-day Babylon, or modern-day Iraq, rather, in ancient Babylon. And so they were, indeed, as God promised, exiled, because that is where sin takes us, away from the presence of God, away from him. Now, there were two prophets that prophesied in the exile. One is Daniel. You remember his story? He was serving the king of Babylon, and then after that, the king of Persia, and so Daniel served in the exile. Another one is Ezekiel. Both of these prophets are sometimes called exilic prophets or prophets from the exile. So those are the two Daniel and Ezekiel. Daniel 7 describes this amazing vision. It says, The Ancient of Days, and it says, The Son of Man will come. This man will come from heaven and he will defeat the enemy and establish his kingdom forever with the people of God. So there's this promise of future renewal through the son of man. And then if you look at the other exilic prophet, Ezekiel, he has lots of visions, but I'll give you one in particular. Ezekiel 34 describes the coming Messiah as the good shepherd who will take the scattered flock and bring them all close to the heart of God. It's amazing. Pointing, of course, Jesus is the son of man. Jesus is the good shepherd promised with these prophets from the exile. And then you have Ezekiel 37. If you haven't read that, oh, it's an amazing chapter. You have the people of God that is all dead, dry bones that are dead under the curse of God, covering this huge valley as far as the eye can see. This picture, this vision of God's people dead under the curse. The curses from Deuteronomy that we could. Never avoid because we are sinful, that indeed we're under the curse of God. And we had this picture of of death and decay. And then what does the prophet do? He begins to prophesy. He begins to preach. And then God breathes out as the word is being proclaimed. And there is a mighty rattling. And the people of God are made whole and resurrected in the presence of God through the preaching of the gospel as the spirit of God then goes and does what only he can do, which is to bring the dead to life. And this is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and me. He is resurrecting us promising in the exile, in the middle of exile, promising future resurrection, future renewal in the presence of God. And then you have three other prophets that prophesied after the exile, when the people of God returned back to Jerusalem. These are sometimes called the post-exilic prophets. It's the prophets that were preaching post, so after the exile, whenever they returned back. And those are Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi. So, those are the three that preach in that, in that era. It's sometimes called the renewal or the restoration era because it rebuilt the temple and the wall in the city. And it was Haggai and Zechariah that were preaching, saying, Trust in God's promises, rebuild the temple, turn your hearts back to God, experience his renewing work. And and so this is a preaching ministry of Haggai and Zechariah. Now Malachi came a little bit later, about 100 years later, at the very end of the Old Testament, the last book in the Old Testament, the last voice that God would send. And so he sent John the Baptist, who was preaching with Jesus coming. And here's, here's just kind of one sampling of Malachi at the very end of the, Bible, of, the, of the Old Testament. Malachi 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. For behold, the day is coming. So this is a promise in the future. It's being foretold. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will, will stubble I'm sorry, will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will be leave them neither root nor branch. So it says the day is coming when those who oppose God, those who are evil, that they will be burned up, set ablaze and consumed. Verse two, but for you, who fear my name those who worship god the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings you shall go out with leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when i act says the lord of hosts he calls the messiah here son of righteousness, who will come and who will judge those who reject God and who are evil and who have never come to faith, those who don't worship God. He's going to judge them. And those who do love God, those who worship him, it's describing this leaping, this joy. He says that healing is what's coming. So the Messiah brings joy and healing. He's bringing renewal. In the middle of being under the curse and pain and disappointment and failure and sinfulness, God is promising that one day Messiah will come and he will do what only he can do, which is to renew our hearts. God's renewal was being foretold throughout the whole Old Testament. We just focus more on on these prophets here, but uh, man, we could talk about this for hours. I think you believe me. We could actually talk about this for hours. We won't today, though. But I do want to read to you a few verses. If you kind of backtrack for a second in Deuteronomy, we were there a second ago. Deuteronomy 30. I want to read to you about what the prophet Moses was saying about this coming Messiah, the coming renewal that he would accomplish with it being foretold. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 5 through 8. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. This is key, this future promise. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that, here's the key, so that, for the purpose, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. So for those who preach a gospel that is actually not the gospel, that says Old Testament saints were saved by obeying the law and New Testament believers are saved by the grace of God, have not read Deuteronomy chapter 30. Because the reality is that salvation has always been, always will be by grace through faith, alone, through Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. It is not by works, has always been, always will be by the very mercy of God. We are under the curse of God. We cannot earn God's favor. We cannot be good enough. We are under the curse of God. And yet the promise here is that one day God is going to circumcise, totally transform, cut away the dead flesh, the sinful nature. He will circumcise your heart so that for the purpose of that you will love God and you will then want to and have the power through the spirit To obey, this is the gospel. The gospel is not try harder, be religious, impress other people, show up on a Sunday, be a good person, turn over a new leaf. Hopefully, in the end, your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. That is from the enemy, that is from hell. It is a lie, it is not. The gospel. The gospel is that we're saved by Jesus alone through his work on the cross who changes our hearts. And then he enables us where we want to. It's not I have to. It's man, I want to. Jesus, I want you. I love you. And I hate my sin. I just want more of you. And then his spirit that empowers us to live this this life of obedience Earning nothing. Receiving his regeneration, his his salvation. This is the foretold renewal. He says that we would live, yeah, life through Christ, who was promised in the Old Testament. So we have renewal foretold. Number two, renewal fulfilled. So let's see this renewal that was promised and let's see how it has been fulfilled through Jesus. Colossians 1 19 through 22. Colossians 1 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. You hear that? To reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth, or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds this is who we were he has now here's we are now we now he says are reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you how holy and blameless, and above reproach before him. This is the good news. The good news is not try harder. The news is that Jesus has reconciled us with his work on the cross and is restoring. He is reconciling all things to himself through his sacrificial death and powerful resurrection on that first Easter. So that we're no longer doing evil deeds, but we are now called holy and blameless. So ever since the fall, there has been degeneration and death. But now through Christ, we have his renewing work through his spirit that we have now is regeneration and life. So maybe our bodies are wasting away. And yes, I'm over 40. I feel it in my bones. My my body is wasting away, but what is being renewed is my soul and yours, and that is eternal. So we keep our eyes on what is eternal, not on things that are seen, because the things that are seen are transient. So this is what Jesus is doing. And so he, Jesus, was promised to bring renewal and then he purchased it for the praise of his name. Or you could say it this way. Jesus was anticipated and then he achieved redemption for the adoration of his name. This is what Jesus is all about. All through Jesus. And so you have his renewal that was foretold and his renewal that was fulfilled. Number three, we have his renewal that is finished. Finished. See, Jesus began this chain reaction by resurrecting from the grave. By walking out of the grave, he began a new creation of people that are made new, that are renewed in him. But, but we're not done yet. And so we're not in heaven yet. So following Jesus is this, oh man, how I describe it. It's it's living between two realities. Following Jesus is looking back to what has already been done. The objective reality, the finished work of Jesus. So we we live based on that reality. That reality defines us. It's, we're defined by the people who trust in Jesus, who came and lived and died and was resurrected. And so we live in one way looking back to the resurrection, trusting in his work. And yet we also live looking forward to his second coming, to his return. So we look back to what he did, and we find hope and strength, and then we look forward to what is next. And so really we live in this in-between. We live in the waiting. The call to follow Jesus is a call to wait. It is a call to hope. And so we live. Following Jesus is, is a life of hoping. And of trusting and of believing, knowing that because of what he did, we know he's going to come back. And we know that he's got this. Whatever this looks like for you today, as hard or as amazing as life is today, God's got this. So He's living in the now, but not yet. Now we are called redeemed. Now we are justified. Now we are regenerated. Now we have his spirit. Now we can grow in our sanctification, growing in our faith to be more holy. Now, but we are not yet glorified. We are not yet resurrected physically. Resurrected spiritually, yes, but not yet resurrected physically. And so we wait. What are we waiting for? Let's read Revelation 19. Let's read exactly what this consummation looks like and God's renewal being finished. Revelation 19, we'll read verses six through nine. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. The end that we're waiting for is a wedding. It's a consummation of God's purpose where we, his bride, will enjoy him and eat at his table and forever live in joy with Jesus that we are invited in. This is. Our future. This is the consummation. This is renewal finished. Let's turn the page and read chapter 21, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. From God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. You see, a new creation, new Jerusalem, a people that are resurrected and that are made new, with no more pain. Like, this is us dwelling with God forever. This is the consummation, renewal, finished. Let's read one last section. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. Same book. This is towards the end of the Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, Yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. You hear that? No more curse. But the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light that will reign forever and ever. Amen. Our eternal destiny is, I don't know how I say it, surprisingly earthly. Heaven Sounds a lot like earth when you actually read what the Bible says. There is such continuity between this current earth and the new heavens and the new earth. It'll still be earth. It's called earth for a reason. Just like you will be among this multitude. Of every tribe and nation and tongue. So, if there's tribes and nations, then that means that people have a distinct ethnic appearance. We're not all gonna be faceless angels. We're gonna be embodied, resurrected humans, and you will still be you. I will still look Hispanic with brown hair and brown eyes. I'm gonna still be me. You're still going to be you from your tribal background. We're still going to be us, still humans, just resurrected without sin. Same thing with earth. It's still going to be earth. This same one, just like your same body is going to be resurrected, this same earth will be renewed and, in a sense, resurrected. And so all the promises, all the things that God said that were good, in the Garden of Eden, are still going to be good in the new heavens, the new earth. So you have this garden theme. You have this promised land. Well, Jesus is our promised land. Jesus was resurrected at a garden. You think that's just an interesting little side note? And then new earth, it's, it, sounds, we just, it sounds just like Eden with rivers. And with the tree of life, just like in the Garden of Eden, that's a healing for all nations. And so from beginning to end, it's the same. It's just renewed clothing. Think about that. Clothing is mentioned in the Garden of Eden, but it was because of their shame and they're cursed. And so God covered their shame with clothing. And then if you keep reading in the story, God tells his people how to dress how to, how, to, how they should dress different from the nations. And the priests have particular clothes that they were told to wear. And then the New Testament, we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And then at the very end, it says that we are wearing white robes and fine linen, which is our righteousness, our holiness, beginning to end It's. The same story, drinking. Well, there were all kinds. There was rivers in the Garden of Eden. When they were in, in the wilderness, God provided water from a rock to give his people water to drink. And then Jesus says that he is living water. And then you get to Revelation, and it says that we would drink from the spring of living water that we can buy with no money, free He is our living water from beginning to end. It's the same story. And if you look at eating, oh my goodness, you have the tree of life. They have fruit and they're eating in God's presence. And then they sin, so they're casted out and they're in the wilderness. And what does God do? He rains manna, he rains bread to feed them, to give them food. And then Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. Eat me. Let me satisfy your soul. And then Jesus is the one who said, take, eat. And then we get to the end of the story, and we will eat of the tree of life as we enjoy Jesus forever. We could preach on so many of these themes and threads and expand them, but I think you get the point. It's one story. Man, I pray you'll read this Bible. I pray that you would be so in awe of who God is in his word, that you would devour it, and it would transform you. Last thought, as I know we're going along, I appreciate your patience. As we're dismissed, how do we respond? Let me give you two quick thoughts on how can you really respond to this? How does it really impact your life? You can experience it and then extend it. Experience his renewal and then you can extend his renewal. How do you experience it? Well, first of all, I come to faith in Jesus. And if you're not, that's a starting point. Trust in Jesus as your Savior. And if you're a believer, then you have to truly walk in the Spirit. Walk with him read his word, and truly experience his renewing work in your life. And sometimes the hardest thing is facing ourselves, facing our own pain and our own insecurities and our own brokenness. But will you have the courage to do that, to face it, and to let God bring that renewal that I've tasted for myself that only you can taste for yourself? Experience his renewal. And then once you've experienced it, you can then extend it to others. Do you really think that God has given you his salvation, his freedom, his joy, so that you can just, like, hog it? Like, do you think we're renewal hogs? Like, close those doors. No one else can have God's renewal. We already have it. Good for me. Sorry for you. Must think to be you. No. He he allows us to experience it so that we can extend it to others. That's the whole point. So that more people can be counted in this number wearing the fine linen, praising him. So our church DNA, everything that we do is focused on this. It's who we are. Discipleship, our home groups, not a lot of programs, highly relational trying to be real with each other, membership, like who we are as a church. It's all about experiencing more of his renewal and then being able to extend it to Bill County and the world. May we do it through his strength, for his glory.